0: Welcome to the Victory Podcast. I'm your host, Monique Watson. This is the final installment of our COVID-19 series. On this episode, I sat down with Dr. Maurice Scholes. He is a board-certified physician and entrepreneur who provides care for children with physical disabilities, and as an administrator, uses his voice to elevate marginalized communities in healthcare. During our interview, we talked a bit about COVID-19. Some of the disparities in the healthcare system that exists, especially in uh, communities of color, how that contributes to some of the occurrences and uh, poor outcomes of COVID-19, the distribution and acceptance within those communities of the vaccine and a host of other topics. Let's listen in to what he has to say. So, Welcome to the Victory Podcast. I'm your host, Monique Watson, and I have the distinct pleasure to have on my show today, Dr. Showless. How are you doing today, Doc?
1: Hey, I'm doing well. I'm doing well on this MLK Monday.
0: MLK Monday. Yeah, off of work. I'm off of work this year I'm so
1: excited <laughs> I feel like as an entrepreneur I'm never off of work my my mother feels like it's her personal duty to remind me when things are happening that are holidays so I don't forget and, and, and get confused as to why is no one answering all my emails reply up it's Monday it's a holiday we're
0: all <laughs> I totally get that. So welcome, welcome. Um, so for our listeners, we'll just, I'm going to give a quick rundown of where we're going to go today with Dr. Sherliss. Mm-hmm. Um, we'll talk a bit about how we know each other, even though, honestly, we're truly first meeting. Mm-hmm. Um, a, a bit about his professional background. And we'll talk a bit, as this is the final episode in our COVID series that we've been doing on this podcast. So we'll talk a good bit about... So I some of the topics that Dr. Shulis has talked about in a number of articles and CNN appearances and all the great things that he's been doing around, you know, distrust in the medical system, sort of where that comes from and how that ties into some of the COVID, both um, the COVID vaccine and the responses we're seeing in communities of color, as well as the the virus and its ind- and then we'll talk at any other comments around COVID-19 that Dr. Scholz has, and then we'll end it out with any kind of upcoming articles, other appearances, social media, whatever. This is your promo plug. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, let's go ahead and get into it. So Dr. Scholz, maybe you can give the folks listening a bit of background, um, how we know each other and a little bit of background on yourself um, professionally.
1: So um, I have a, uh had the distinct pleasure of meeting so many people uh, through virtual platforms. Um, I was a little bit of a late comer to things like Twitter. Um, and my friends all told me, you love it, you love it, you love it. And I was like, no, I won't, no, I won't, no, I won't. And I'm on it and I love it. Why do I love it? Because no matter where you are in the universe, you can find your people. And I think that speaks to sort of how we connected. We both found our people. Um, I am a physician. Um, I have an MD and a PhD from Harvard. My medical expertise is in caring for kids with acquired or congenital physical disabilities um, as a pediatric rehab specialist. Um, My larger context is I care for businesses and medical entities um, in similar ways that I care for my kids with disabilities. I help them be more functional, I help them be more financially solvent, and I help them introduce new programs. And it's really fascinating Um, A number of years ago, when I was talking with somebody that was a mentor, I was explaining all the different disparate aspects of my life. And he said, well, that doesn't really sound disparate to me because what I do clinically and what I do administratively is kind of like the same skills. It's just applied in a different arena. So the same way I talk to parents about what's going to happen with their child after some sort of catastrophic disability, like they're paralyzed and how their life might look or how their life might change, how it might be the same, what you can still be proud of, what you can still look forward to, is the same way I talk to a CEO about their hospital system and you know what are we working on, what's not quite right, but what's still there to be proud of and how we can still move forward. Um, so those skills are really transferable. And here we are talking about COVID and equity, which is sort of always been in the background of my DNA. Um, I was the first in a lot of spaces, but I am determined not to be the last. And I'm determined to make those spaces open to people like me. So I don't always feel like a freak show everywhere I go. Um, it it and, and I so it's selfish in some ways, but it's growth in other ways. So as a black man, I understand um, what all of these health systems and and institutions have done um, and how people interpret that and how that represents a barrier that further disenfranchises and leaves us behind. Um, And so if I can't speak on that using my cultural competence as a real person of the community, not just one that shows up uh, when it's convenient, um, along with my capital as a true professional in the field, what am I doing with myself? <laughs> and that's exactly. what got me here.
0: Absolutely, and and let's jump right into it from there because that really presents um, a really important. And, and I was looking through your illuminated article again as I prepared for this interview, and I forget the exact um, other uh, physician. I think you
1: Kamara um, Jones quoted. Yes,
0: yes, exactly. Um, and and that idea of trustworthiness and kind of the. That let's talk a bit more. Um, we've talked both on this podcast a bit about some of the historical distrust um, around communities of color. Um, most specifically, as you and I are both a part of the African American community, um, I mean, we've talked about a bit about the syphilis study, we've talked to a, a couple of areas. Maybe you can kind of expand more where you're starting off and sort of that distrust in the healthcare system at, at macro level, um, mm-hmm. sort of the things you see and sort of where that challenge
1: is lying. Well, you know, like like a lot of things, this legacy goes back to slavery. Um, We were brought here um, as chattel and seen as less than human. And we were cared for like livestock. What does that do and what does that mean? We don't have our autonomy. We don't have our humanity. We don't have our own agency. And so from the beginning of the black experience in the Americas, um, we were treated like a beloved dog or a favorite horse. Um, on the best of days, and a beast of burden, an animal on the worst of days, um, and, and and so that's where we started. And I think it, it's, it's important to to acknowledge that because out of that came all of the studies. Like the father of genetics um, worked on. I mean, I'm sorry, I mean genetics, and the father of gynecology um, worked on fixing what happens when your vagina erodes into your bladder system um, after you've had babies. Well, that gave us the way to understand how to repair um, challenges with the female reproductive system and the ur- urinary system after childbirth, but that came at the expense of Black women that were enslaved. So it's, it's impossible to separate the advances in medicine from the advances that came from our suffering. Um, and, and I think we start there. So people have heard about Henrietta Lacks and using her cells to, to come up with all of these different revolutionary things in medicine, but never ever asking her permission before taking her cells and never compensating her, her family for the tremendous industry got, that got created. We understand the syphilis study where men were just observed rather than treated um, with something that was easily treatable at the time to see what the long term effects were. And you can say, well, that information has been useful to us as a society, but that information came on the backs of people that were exploited, and so from that background, the institutions say you must trust us. When we really need to tell all these institutions, you need to be trustworthy.
0: I mm. say, yeah, that's an important distinction, right? So, mm-hmm. and and I think it's powerful people like yourselves who are both now part. <clears throat> And some of the other guests we've had on here, are Dr. Sabrina Bent, who's a board certified anesthesiologist, mm-hmm. um, my own sister, who's a fourth year medical student, sort mm-hmm. of people who are becoming, and, and there are people like yourselves that are part of this medical community and can bring that cultural um, awareness to <clears throat> to what they're doing and be that trustworthy mm-hmm. touch point for a lot of people. And I think the more um, diversity, equity, and inclusion we bring into Number of fields, including the oh, healthcare system. A number. Um, a number. I, I, mean, and I can even speak to my own as a as a um, occupational, you know, health and safety professional background in public health, um, but yet yeah, more in the industry side, and just bringing more presence of mind of, of just even even if it's not the actual versus the optics of, of certain activities are are so important. Um, so let's, let's center now a little, we've talked at, that's more at the, I think the macro high level, right. That exists. And, and maybe a bit more, we can expand on how that is maybe feeding into, um, some of the, the, the increased, um, both transmission rates in Mm COVID-19, um, within communities of color, and especially the the increased, um, fatality rates as well. Mm -hmm. And sort of your thoughts there.
1: Sure. Um, I think, COVID did not create health inequity, but COVID exposes health inequity. And what do I mean by that? Black people are not genetically predisposed to have a worse outcome. But what happens is Black persons tend to be diagnosed later in the process with higher disease burden. And so if two people get COVID, one person gets aggressive treatment on the front end, you can control that infection, keep the numbers of the viral count low, and and walk the person to a better outcome. Whereas if you get the same kind of infection, but don't get care until later, if you will, on death's door, it's more difficult to bring that person back and have that person have a good outcome. And and so how does this manifest itself? Think about where are the hospital centers that are equipped to deal with something like COVID? Those are the big tertiary care hospitals that are typically in a specific university setting or some very high end hospital setting, not just a regular walk in clinic place those tend to be located furthest away from the communities where black people are concentrated. So if you look at um, the metro area of New Orleans, for example, the hospitals that are primary at taking care of COVID are on the border between New Orleans and Jefferson Parish, all the way in one direction. The communities where we have the highest percentage of black residents are either on the West Bank, across the river, or in New Orleans East, which is three or four bus stops Away, Three or four bus lines away from the actual institution. So if you're somebody that is marginalized, doesn't have access to a car, because we have a hospitality industry here based on economy that is hurting right now because of all the COVID restrictions. So how is someone in that community with those realities going to get access, the same way as someone that lives on that side of town that can drive quickly to the hospital and has immediate access in a physical sense to the hospital. That's the first part. And the second part, what we're seeing is that when Black people present with findings and symptoms, many of them aren't believed. So they say, I I don't feel right, I don't feel well. And if the symptoms aren't perfect, technically just like the textbook says they're going to be, which how can that happen in a novel coronavirus, which by definition just started, um, (laughs) they're getting sent back home to get better, whereas other people are being brought in to be aggressively managed on the front end. So all of those things are sort of institutional or structural reasons that people with the same disease process can have very different outcomes. And so COVID, again, did not create health inequity. It exploits and demonstrates how health inequity exists and why it happens.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, I, I nail on the head. Like, <laughs> just, I'm, exactly. Um, and sort of, I, I'd love to maybe have you expound even, uh, sort of, talk about how the vaccine and the transmission how sure. the outcomes. Um, but sort of, there's there's been some. This is just more of on the side of the street you're talking. Yes, yes, sort yes. Of the, <laughs> sort of the the bits I gather from talking to other people, whether it be on my job site or just in social interactions. And I try to engage with people outside of the world of public health. You sort of like get in if you get into those like super narrow. Like, well, of course, why wouldn't you? And, and sort of in that. But some of the things that that are raised from the community, as far as questions um, around the vaccine, is you know, one the sort of distrust of uh, I don't know, just saying this new vaccine, whatever. Some of it also centered around people's um, hesitancy because of the speed in which the vaccine was developed mm-hmm. compared to traditional vaccines or similar kind of activities. Um, I'm curious on your thoughts sure. there. We've talked a bit about it in some of our earlier episodes, but even specifically your take there.
1: So, you know, everybody's talking about the speed of this. And part of the frustration is that there's a whole lot of science that's behind this that most people are not necessarily aware of or want to actually get up to speed on. So the technology that led to these vaccines is 30 years old. This is not something we just came up with in the last year. I want to say it again. The technology from these vaccines is 30 years old. They were they, three, zero. three zero. So if you will, this became a way to apply a technology we've always been wanting to use and wanting to apply first. Second, we had a convergence of a couple of things. One, by it being a national or global pandemic, there's a lot of eyes and a lot of money um, that can come to bear in this. Secondly, because people aren't doing Exactly what they're supposed to be doing with these social distancing, wearing a mask, washing your hands. It's spreading and transmitting like wildfire. So when they say, how are we able to get these vaccines from just thought up to actually moving through the market? Let's think about this. With our exposure to infection and death rates, we are able to gather data over the course of weeks that ordinarily would take months to almost a year to get together. So you say, okay, what are you talking about? To get twenty-five thousand people exposed to a virus in a specific window of time, that process typically takes six months, a year, because people are so infected, because there's such outbreaks. We were able to get those twenty-five thousand people, if you will, in weeks. because the virus is ravaging through our communities. So people are like, well, how did this happen? It's a convergence of terrible public health, (laughs) a a, a definite, definite financial incentive where lots of money can be made. And third, it's a disease that we actually had laboratory potential solutions waiting on the horizon for. So that's how we were able to get from just hearing about this a year ago to where we are almost having, having two vaccines in the marketplace and two more are probably coming online within the next quarter or two.
0: Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So um, one thing that was really interesting to me and sort of, I'd like you <clears> last, <throat> I think, probably thing. And then any other closing sure, comments sure. Would be around um, your personal decision. Um, one having, and I think because you yeah. shared in the article, yeah. feel free to share that you, you did have COVID-19 and recovered for it. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Yes. Yes. And sort of your decision in light of that, even still getting Mm -hmm. the COVID vaccine and sort of what weighed weighed on you and your thought process. would be.
1: Okay. So uh, a couple of things. So I'll tell you about the professional me and the personal me. The professional me takes care of patients with COVID in the intensive care unit. And so if I'm going to go into places and spaces that have a very, very high risk of giving me something terrible. I need to do everything I can to protect myself. So from a professional standpoint, I'm not just protecting myself. I'm also protecting my patient. Because when I had COVID, the only symptom I really had was a terrible, terrible backache. And I thought I had a terrible backache because I was fat and trying to work out at the time and lose a little bit of weight. So I didn't didn't really. (laughs) See, you you weren't ready for that. I'm telling you. (laughs) And so it didn't occur to me. And then I was swimming at the time. And so I thought, well, there's no way I could have a respiratory anything when I can swim for 40 minutes. I'm just fat and out of shape. And I wasn't sleeping well at night and I was very anxious and worked up. But also I'm a super social person that just went into complete isolation for several weeks. I lived alone and I was just kind of cuckoo la la in the head. And so all of the things that in retrospect really were consistent with a variant or version of COVID infection I had, but it wasn't typical and I didn't feel broke down bad. And so just because I isolated myself by the grace of God, I didn't expose anyone because I wasn't going to the hospital. Then I wasn't going anywhere, but now that I know I can do better. So that's the professional reason I have to get it for myself and to protect my patients on a personal scale. I am frustrated, disgusted that black communities and larger communities of color are bearing the brunt of infection and death in a rate that far exceeds their representation in a larger population. So I don't want to get all the bad stuff from this COVID and none of the good stuff. If we're going to be out there on the front lines working those jobs that we can't work from home. Because let's be real, only one in five Black black employed persons and one in six Black um, Latinx employed persons can do jobs remotely. So, so the fact that people are having to pick between exposing themselves and potentially tracking something back to their family and making a living is real. And, and we're moving towards a, a state where we're going to say at some point in the future when these vaccines get out there, some people are going to be declared required. Just like in hospitals, you're gonna be required if you're in a hospital to get a flu shot. You're required if you work in a hospital to get certain things. You have to your TB test has to be maintained. There is no reason this model won't be applied to everybody in the hospitality industry that's dealing with a bunch of people frontline. Everybody works at a grocery store, everybody works at a gas station. So all of these essential, everybody that's working in delivery services. So if we get to the point where we are required to have some sort of biogenetic id card that says we've been vaccinated or some way to prove we've been vaccinated we're once again are going to be shut out of an economic process and a recovery so we died more in the front end we got sick more on the front end and then we're lagging behind the recovery when the boom is going to come when all this stuff comes roaring back no not doing that and then lastly for all the people that are concerned about what's in it how it's going to go two things all these capitalists, that are talking about the capitalistic system. We are going to have four different companies vying for your time and attention. That gives every motivation for each of those four companies to make sure their product is the best, not just in the laboratory, but the best as it goes into your arm. Because it'll be very clear to see that if three of those products do well and one of them doesn't do well, people are going to vote with their feet. And all that money that company put into research and development is going to be for nothing because they're going to go somewhere else. Secondly. All of these vaccine doubters um, in the government that were talking that foolishness were the first ones that went and got the shot. So do not listen to what they say. Look at what they're doing. And, and if this was no big deal, <laughs> if this was no big deal, they wouldn't be pushing old ladies down the steps to get to the front of the line.
0: Sure you right. <laughs> Tell the truth, shame the devil.
1: <laughs> I'm, gonna, I'm putting it down to where people can reach it because yeah. th- they need to hear me on this.
0: For sure, absolutely, yeah. The, the you know these uh folks talking, about, it's not real. The masking's not real. You know, not gonna name names, but yeah, they the first ones
1: mm-hmm.
0: in there on camera getting getting shot. So I was like, which is it?
1: Oh, you know which it is because they vote with their bodies. They voting with their health. And 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 the 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 good senator from the great state of Iowa that said physicians are out there making extra money on this oh, that, and and exaggerating this exaggerating this for their own financial benefit that lady had the nerve to be one of the first people vaccinated and did it publicly i felt some kind of way about that so not six months before you got your shot you were out there basically downplaying everything and demonizing physicians and public health people on the front line um that were trying to fight this good fight by saying we were only doing it to make money but there you are
0: I remember my sister who's a fourth year med school and uh other doctors, they were hot off of those comments. Like, have you like the people really a lot of people don't understand that it is really a sacrifice to be a medical professional for many outside of the pandemic. If there's so much pressure, there's so much risk for you and yourselves exposed to a gamut of diseases. Um, the insurance, the liability, the just the emotional strain, the physical strain, the long hours, all that kind of stuff. Just both becoming a, a physician and entering the medical world and then the, the practicing medicine.
1: And staying. I <laughs> and stay. And stay. <laughs>
0: yeah. For sure. Um, yeah, I remember those comments. And I was like ready to jump through. The good Lord's television. Yes, yes,
1: yes. Uh, You know, and and, and I put that out there again for our listeners. Look at what people are doing, not just what they're saying. You know, and if this vaccine was a crock, we basically just killed the entire workforce that takes care of treating you if you get the vaccine. If this vaccine is a crock, we're going to lose all the past presidents, all the current presidents and the vice president and the entire Congress. That's not how this works. And then for people that say, well, oh, they're just going to give them the special kind of vaccine and give me a water injection. Again, maybe that would be a a greater chance of happening if there was only one vaccine from only one company. There's two companies already in the marketplace and two more that will probably come online within the next few weeks. That's four companies in the marketplace. Worldwide, we already have three companies in the marketplace. The the competition between those companies to get the biggest nut back from. Their efforts to actually create a vaccine and, and get it available to people is a very, very potent motivator to make sure that what goes in your arm is just as effective as what went in the arm of a very important person.
0: Yeah. If we think about the two that are on online in the United States, right, Pfizer and the Moderna. The fact that we know, I mean, if you I don't know who makes the flu vaccine. <laughs> the I, this yes. year. I don't I don't know. Yes. Went in my arm, got it because of the medical You know reasons to get a flu vaccine, but everyone knows there's a Pfizer and there's a Moderna vaccine. Mm -hmm. So that's one thing I've tried to uh, make sure with both people I interact with in real life, and even on this podcast, is like there is so much on the line, as you've stated, for these companies to do well for because they're they're on front street with this, right? Their name and all of they pivoted so greatly. As well, they should, right? Mm-hmm. Um, to focus on the, making this vaccine, I think I saw numbers about, I think two billion dollars, maybe for Pfizer that they put in just on one project. And I work in an R and D health and safety person, but science that goes on in the background is R and D, and I was on a call with leadership. It's like, could you imagine if we pivoted and put two billion dollars on the hopes oh, of one, thing. one project? Mm-hmm. One. That is, I mean, makes sense from a moral compass perspective and needed it. And thank God they did and all this kind of those things. But it, there's there's so much on the line for them. And that's, you know, we are in a very capitalistic world. I don't even say just America, but society as a whole. And the, the dollars and cents behind all of this, which is why I expect it to do well and continue to. One last comment, I guess, and sure. this wasn't necessarily an outline, should I say. Um, but I'm not sure your thoughts or what you've been hearing around um, some of these variants and people's pause sure. um, around that. And sure. S- and sort of your thoughts there.
1: Sure. And, and of course, right then uh, the garbage truck goes by outside. <laughs> this is, I live <laughs> real people with <in> real life. <laughs> so, no worries, it's not too bad. The, the thing I, I tell you about, about the variant is that every living being, modifies and sort of makes its way forward to survive as best it can. And and viruses are no exception to that. So there'll be other little, there'll be variants of the same virus, which is why we know how the virus tracks back to who got it from the original uh, Wuhan strain, who was infected from the people that came from Italy. How do we know that? Because we know what exact, little, tiny little genetic changes are Going to be present from different viruses from different sections of the world as it sort of spread across the world, spread across the globe. The good thing about RNA vaccines and this particular technology is that we will be able to recognize those viruses and mount an immune response. Whether the virus is wearing a wig, whether the virus cut his hair off, whether the virus is in pants that day, you know. And, and I and I think and I think about it like that. The viruses are changing its its outfit. It's changing its hair. It's changing its wig. It's changing its shoes. But we still know which one it is. And and that's the beauty of of, of these vaccines. Now, the other thing about the variant is like um, the UK variant is the one everybody's aware of. But there's also a South African variant that's even more of a beat down than the UK one. The UK one does not cause you to be sicker. It's just easier for you to transmit. Um, meaning, you might have a little bit more grace with the typical variant, whereas this variant, when you go up to that 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 great party you couldn't decide, couldn't miss for so and so's birthday, um, or, or or that great concert you just thought you had to be a part of, um, this that that UK variant, you're more likely to come home with it um, than the standard type. You know, and and more the more people that get infected, the more people that have the potential to have a bad outcome and die from it. So, um, again as people are, are moving through this process, 2020 was rough for me in that it was my 50th year on this planet. So I had a big plan for a 50th birthday party that went away. My parents had been married 50 years and I finally got them to agree to do something to celebrate that. That went away. This was my 25th year recognizing my graduation from Harvard Medical School. That went away. Um, so I understand milestone things and I understand touchstone years and what it means to miss them but i'm sorry i choose life not just for me but for the people i love and i want everyone listening to this podcast to choose life not just for yourself but for the people you love
0: And that's it that's we're gonna end it right there uh we're going to take collection at the end of the <laughs> benediction. Um, no, but that's, that's so true. And and I encourage everyone who's listening to this. Um, yeah. I understand it. Look, my husband turned 30 this year. We did a virtual there's thank God for technology. Like the one we're using today, there's mm-hmm. Google meet, there's zoom. There's a host of platforms to still interact and have something. No, it's not the same as in person, but it's something. Um, and it's, it's better than nothing and it's better than coming down um, with this horrible virus that has no respecter of persons, doesn't care how many degrees you have, doesn't care how cool you are, um, doesn't care where you come from. And even if it's not you personally, you might carry that on to someone else that you love. So thank you so much, sure. uh, Dr. Liss, for spending time with us today. Do try and um, enjoy your MLK Day a bit, and um, thank you so much for your
1: time. It's a pleasure to be here, and if anybody wants to reach out to me, I am Doc Mosho, D-O-C-M-O-S-H-O, on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Um, I'm on LinkedIn as well under my name, Maurice Scholes, and um, reach out. Let's talk Um, because I think talking to people that respect you talking to people that understand why you might be hesitant is sometimes the best way to move forward. And I'm here, and I'm happy to talk to any of your listeners that want to reach out and connect.
0: Absolutely. Any other uh, upcoming experiences or anything like that you got coming down the pike you want to share with the
1: listeners? Sure. I have an article coming out in the Southern Christian Leadership Conference's journal. Um, It should be dropping in January. So SCLC's um, print production, I wrote an article for that um around vaccines and vaccines in our community i'm excited about and i'm very active with uh, the national medical association so i am the head of their branding and social media committee of the board and uh we have lots and lots of things where our national president and board members are going to be speaking and advocating and making sure that our communities are not just a part of um, um, um the discussion but leading the discussion and a part of uh, finding a path forward that includes everybody
0: Alrighty, thank you so much for being on the podcast and uh, enjoy the rest of your day.
1: Ciao.
0: So, thanks again to Dr. Sholis. And make sure you check out the show notes to find um, both the article we were sort of referring to that he uh, contributed to the LA Illuminator, this Louisiana Illuminator, um, as well as his social media. Um, and a host of other outline to kind of follow through. Um, As always, I encourage you to share this podcast with your friends and even your enemies. If you're looking for where to find us, you can visit our website at thevictorypodcast.com and check out either the episode player to listen directly on the website or go to the Where to Listen page and find your favorite podcast tool. You can also help to support the Victory Podcast by visiting our merch store or become part of our patreon we'll be starting some new exclusive content in the coming weeks and months so sign up to be first in line to see that information also be sure to check out our social media pages and follow us so you can stay up to date on the latest and greatest from the victory podcast we can be found on uh, three major social media platforms twitter instagram and facebook and across all of those we're there at the Victory Pod. So please join us and partake in some of the conversation. I'll end this episode as I do every episode. Every problem has a solution. It's whether you're willing to do the work to find it. Let's do the work and be victorious.